How are we today? That might be a little. Hope I have your attention. Don't mind me drinking water today. I, I have, uh, someone told me this is just Harrison life. The weather is kind of crazy around here. But uh, <laughs> I know Arkansas is crazy for its mood swings. Anybody else struggling with allergies at all a little bit this weekend? Yes, Lord, you see us. We need some help. So if I um, uh, pan away for a second just to get my cough out, just bear with me. We're going to be studying in the book of Nehemiah for some weeks. Um, I'm excited about this book. I want to kind of give you some context to how it is. Let me just say a few things really fast. Uh, Spring retreat is next weekend. Next weekend. Uh, Are y'all excited? Yes. Um, And so uh, we're looking forward to that. Mike Holt is going to actually be with us here next week. Actually, he's going to be preaching. I'm a bit jealous because I'm already possessive over this pulpit. But uh, we have already agreed to allow him to come speak. And that'll be a great time as well. My family and I will be moving to Harrison next week. So uh, we're excited for that. So we're going to take that opportunity to get that out of the way so we can get up here and be up here. Uh, but we'll be looking to um, uh, Pastor Mike Holt to, to speak a word, not only during the retreat, but also to us as well. So we'll be looking forward and praying for you guys this weekend. We expect God to do some great things. So the book of Nehemiah, let me describe to you a group of people. Um, and you tell me if this sounds familiar to you, um, as I describe Nehemiah and the people of Israel. Uh, they were a group who once had a very esteemed status as God's people. Coming out of a very painful season, everything was familiar, and now it's been disrupted. Life as they've been previously known came to a screeching halt. Many in the older generation had passed away. Many of their children began to question the importance of their faith. They have a heavy-handed government that controls too many aspects of life. They've gotten back to normal, but only a percentage have actually returned. Everywhere they look, things are not as good as they used to be. Powerful forces are seeking to divide them. They are very weak, small, and shrinking in minority amidst a godless majority. They read in the scriptures of how much God loves them and will not leave them, yet it fails to match reality. And they're wondering if all this God stuff is too good to be true. Does it sound familiar to you? Isn't it funny that when you read in Scripture, you feel like our problems are new problems? We always think, Lord, we, how do we do this? We've never known this before. And can I tell you that America, in America, 2022, is facing and suffering, not to the extent, but as much like what Israel is going in in 445 B.C., And what I know is this, is that the problems are always the same. They just keep resurfacing, but God is consistent, right? All the way through. There are no problems that we have. There are no issues ahead of us that we know that God hasn't worked through. Satan just does his same old tricks all the time. Uh, He's always learning. We're never (laughs) learning. Uh, And so this is why the book was written. And so it was written to a people who were discouraged, to a people who knew what used to be, um, is better than what actually is, and they're struggling with some anti-God forces as well. And so what does this book invite us to do? The book of Nehemiah, as we pray here in just a second, invites us to be fearless and faithless to the word, regardless of the cost. And can I tell you guys, if there's anything that I have tried to put my life on, and one day if I have to cost it all, then I will, I'll just risk it. But Lord, let me be fearless and faithful 
to your word, regardless of what it costs me, whether that be my name or popularity or which that stuff doesn't matter, but, but anything, even if it costs my family, Lord, would I be faithful to your word? I would like to say yes. When I think about the martyrs uh, of the old, how they risked everything because it was their word. People who went to, they, they put their life at risk so that scripture would be right, that doctrine would be correct. And I want to live my life in such a way. And so these last major events that we see here in the book of Nehemiah is really important because it sets up the coming of Jesus. This is the last major event in the Old Testament other than the Queen Esther concerning the people of Israel that sets up the soon coming king being Jesus. And so as we get into Easter, it'll be real real important for us to process this out. So pray with me this morning. We'll get into this book. Father, we love you. And God, we just ask, number one, I, I pray your anointing upon me, and I pray your anointing upon these people. And as much, God, as we need anointing to flow from this pulpit, God, we need the anointing, God, to be received in the people as well so they can understand and process. Lord, I know, Holy Spirit, that you will preach a message specific to each one of us today. So I yield whatever I have to say today to you. I pray that your work is your work. It's not anything else, God. I ask, Lord, that as we're here, God, that you would begin to put us, put us at peace and ease and begin to deal with the issues of our heart, God, because forward is what you're thinking about. God, building is what you want to do. And I pray that whatever we have to leave at your feet today, God, you'd prepare us to do that. And when I ask this, Father, by the power and the strength and the name of Jesus only and all God's people said, Amen. Let me just recap. Most of you guys know the Red, the Red Sea story because you saw it on TV about 5,000 times, right? I mean, they've been making Hollywood videos about the Exodus forever. And so let me just catch you up to where we are in Nehemiah. So there was this Red Sea crossing you heard about. And after Moses pulled uh, the people through the Red Sea, they came to uh, Mount Sinai where the, where the law was given. And after the law was given, they were heading on into the Promised Land. But before they went to the Promised Land, God made a decree, it really was written in Deuteronomy, which means second law. And so he kind of gives this locker room talk, this cheer talk, like before you go to the promised land, I want you to know some things. And I'm going to throw the whole verse up here in Deuteronomy chapter four. Let me just say today, have you got your word? I'm a word preacher. I like to be in the word. So go ahead and pull out your word today. We're going to be a lot in it, a lot in it. Uh, And I'm going to do my best to read slower for you today, not because... I know it's better for you, but I don't want to cough, you know. So uh, I'm going to preach fast when it gets hard in my heart. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my, do my best. But it's hard when it just wants to jump out there at you. Um, so you know, here, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 25 through 31. I won't read the whole thing, but I want you to just get the gist of it. He says in verse 25, When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you, if you, Act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that you soon will utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone and the work of the human hand. They neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. And so he goes on and talks about how 
um, if you continue to find, if you continue to search him and, and find him out, then he'll return. He'll return you. And so this is the decree that, that God is making that, listen, I'm going to take you to a place that is absolutely way beyond what you deserve. But if you begin to worship another God and give him the credit for it, then I can't keep you there. I can't keep you there. And so this is what he said almost a thousand years before our issue of Nehemiah. So from there, we get into the promised land, and then there's these judges for about 400 years. They have the true republic. Matter of fact, if you look at history, our American government was based on the government of the, the, uh, of the, of the Hebrew government during this period of time, the book of Judges. Uh, our our uh, forefathers did that. They, they read into the scriptures, and this is where they pulled our government from. And so from Judges, you got to King Saul. Then King Saul, you got King David. And then you all know King David. And King David had a son named Solomon. You heard of him before. And then Solomon had a son, uh, a couple, well, he probably had a few sons because he had a thousand problems in his house. Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't mean because women are problems. Don't read into that. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. But I think you guys know what I mean. I could, have talk, I could have been talking about kids. No, it would, it's worse than that. All right, so he had, he had, he had some issues. Uh, and so when he passed on, um, he left the kingdom, and the kingdom was divided because he had two sons that were trying to do two different things, and they split the kingdom because of Rehoboam. So he had Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Then you have northern king, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was always the evil kingdom. They never had a, they never had a, um, a good king. And so they always were in uh, idolatrous worship. And the southern king, Judah, would have good king, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king. And so they would lead in worshiping God and worshiping idols and back and forth. And so this split is where we see the prophets come into play. And Isaiah, who walked naked for three years, you know, to try to get people's attention. I don't know how you not get people's attention uh, as he prophesied. But after a while, they just said, that's that old naked man. He's saying the same old thing, same old thing. Uh, but obviously the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom, and then Babylon came in and conquered the southern kingdom, and then exiled everybody to Babylon for 70 years. Then after that, there were three waves to return back because of King Cyrus. He, he decreed the release of the people back to uh, uh, Israel, back to Jerusalem, and here we have Nehemiah. Coming in and saying, okay, let's get busy. But why? Because the crazy thing was is that when King Cyrus released the people to go rebuild the city and the temple, 142 years later, Nehemiah finds out that nothing's been done. 142 years, the walls have been in shame. Now, when I talk about walls in this series specifically today, the walls always represent a good thing. I'm not talking about walls that people put up to keep you on the outside. I'm talking about walls that speak of the glory of God, that speak of his promises, that speak of his faithfulness, that speak of his covenant, that speak of his ability to, uh, to proclaim his promises over you. Can I ask you today, what do you want in your life to be rebuilt? There were walls that hadn't fallen down because they were burned with with, um, uh, with fire, the gates were burned with fire and the walls were crumbled. And these walls need to be rebuilt. And, and Nehemiah said, Lord, we, how can this be? 
We have to rebuild back those things that speak of your faithfulness. And so I want to ask you is what do you want in your life to be rebuilt? What do you want in your life to be built better? I mean, is it just your relationship with Jesus? Could it be a, a marriage or your family's closeness? What about our church? What about the church? What about our nation? What about your influence, our witness as Christians, our purity, our morality? This book is about rebuilding. And so what I want to ask you is what does the Lord need to rebuild in your life? What is, Lord, just pray right now, Lord. I just ask you, would you just reveal it in our heart? God, as, as we just learn, bring it to our attention, Lord, right now. Speak, speak to me, God. What is it in my life that Scott Brandon needs to rebuild? Show it to me, God, clearly. Holy Spirit, convict me that I would finish the job and not just feel about it. And Lord, and let that wall be built and let the people know, not just that I would know that you did it, because I know you'll always do it, Lord, but build it in such a way that other people would know that your faithfulness is true, that we can trust in you, that you are a good God who not just starts a word, but God, you finish a word. Show me, show me my wall. Lord, show us our wall. Jesus' name. Read with me, chapter, Nehemiah chapter 1. 1 through 11, I'm going to tell you, buckle up today. We're going to be in it for a bit. Buckle up. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaleah, so many words, right? Hakaleah, I don't have any, I don't have any, well, there was this one joke. Y'all know why Nehemiah was, a, he's the shortest prophet in the world, right? You know, right? He was just knee-high. Okay, I'm done. All right, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaleah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanini, one of, I did look that up, sounds like a sandwich, one of, one of my brothers came with a certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And that's a, I want you to highlight that, circle that, tag that, whatever you want to do. It's in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confess the sins of the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of your Israel, and which we have sinned against you. And even I, my father's house, have sinned. That's interesting. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, we read that just a second ago, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the fear of your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. 
Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Can I just tell you as a side note, if you don't know how to pray, that's how you pray. That is, in fact, that is the Lord's Supper as well. I mean, the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer as well. The Supper is a different prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer as well. Daniel prayed this same prayer while he was in exile as well. This is the model prayer you should follow. So if your prayers are struggling, go back and understand how he, he prays. So in 587 B.C., we see Babylon destroys the walls of Jerusalem. But in 445 B.C., they're still broken down. What you need to know is that those walls were broken down 142 years. Now, after they've been broken down for a while, people begin to be comfortable with walls, right? Well, you know, the walls have been broken down for a long time, Grandpa. You know, is somebody going to build them back up? I don't know. You know, it was just this comfort people had. Let me just tell you why it was important for the walls to be built back up. The walls were assigned to both Israel and its enemies um, that it was a sign of God's blessing on their life. They needed those walls to be built back up because that was a sign that God's blessing was there. It was a notice to her enemies that you don't have authority over here. This is where God's people live. And so when there was no walls there, there was no authority. There was no blessing. And it gave confidence to the people day by day, knowing that they were the people of God. But without any walls, all of that was gone. And so 142 years, a city without walls was depicted as a prostitute during those days. That you could come in and do with what, what you wanted and leave. And so it was a, it was a city that was a way below reproach. Way below reproach. A city without walls provided no safety, no recognition as a city to the rest of the world, no security, no commerce, no protection, no normalcy, no peace, no place for a family. You didn't want to be there. Think about that. This is the best place in the world to live because it was God's dirt, <laughs> literally. It was his soil that God made a promise to the dirt. I'm telling you, that's where you want to be, and there's no no one to go because they're not honoring the things that God told them to honor. And so God could not bring to them the things that God wants to bring to them. In my life, I have to ask myself, Scott, are there things in your life that you're not seeing God do? Maybe you have allowed some rubble in your life too long. Maybe you've allowed some walls to not be rebuilt. There's some things that speak of his glory that you've not allowed to be rebuilt in your life. Scott, open your mind and see. And so, most importantly, these walls that lay in ruin, as it appeared, it appeared, it appeared this way, that the deal was off, that the Lord was unfaithful, that his character and his name was in reproach. Do you understand how important it was for these walls to be rebuilt? But for 142 years, they were just, they were just not, they're just, they're just, they're just shambles. We're okay with that. We're okay with the Lord's name not being what it should be. We're okay with the Lord's glory and the Lord's promises being in reproach. And so because of this, Nehemiah prayed and planned and then executed his plan. And so there's five things that we need to do in order to rebuild. And church, listen to me. The church is going to be rebuilt. Rebuilt. In fact, I've heard, I have a friend uh, who has a missionary friend over there. Um, in Ukraine right now. He said, I have been there for almost 40 years doing ministry. And he said, I have never seen, I have never seen the revival 
like I have do, like I have right now. He goes, hundreds of people coming each day, giving their life to Christ. I, the church needs to be rebuilt. And, and it, it, it typically comes on persecution. And if persecution comes to America, so be it. If the kingdom, will, if America's walls will fall, but the kingdom's walls will raise up, I'm all about it. Let's go. Because I know I'm going to a place whose walls will never fall. There will be no oppression, no persecution, no crazy directives from the government to tell me things that are not crazy in my mind. I can just trust in the authority and the leadership of Jesus Christ all day long. And I'm praying one of these days that we were able to see heaven fall and the kingdom invade the earth. And we can walk in, in that blessing. But until then, we need the Lord to rebuild the walls here on earth because we need his name to be lifted high. So what walls in your life need to be rebuilt? What things in your life need to proclaim God's glory? The first thing is this, is that building begins when we grieve the status quo. It's been, long, it's been broken too long. We're too familiar with it. We're okay with it. For us to grieve the status quo, we have to not be okay with it. And I think if you look at our culture right now, we tend to find ourselves slowly being accustomed to things we would never be accustomed to. You know, I think a long time ago, a long time ago, y'all remember the, the movie Gone with the Wind? That was the first time that a curse word was introduced into Hollywood, and it got a whole lot of feedback. I don't, I don't even know what the word was. It probably was like, dang, you know, or something like that. I'm not sure. But it was criticized heavily. And I just laugh at that because I'm so familiar with everything else that you hear. And, and that, is, that has been our culture. that We have been living amongst the rubble of walls too long. Two generations went by and nobody addresses the walls falling down. It's like people accepted the problem as the new norm. Can I tell you something? This is not on the screen, but I want you to write it down in your head somewhere. The longevity of a problem doesn't change its dysfunction. The longevity of the problem does not change its dysfunction. If it was broke when it started, it'll be broke when you find it. Just because it's been in our family forever does not mean it's supposed to stay there forever. doesn't mean you're supposed to be okay with it. You can't just say it was given to me. You ha we have to be like Nehemiah and say, no, I'm going to grieve. I'm going to weep. I'm going to mourn for days because the longevity of a problem doesn't change its dysfunction. We got to move on with that. For years, the walls lay in ruins. People just kind of went on with life. In fact, we read in the book of Haggai, it says that people were making paneled homes I guess that's a really nice home. But they were making paneled homes amongst the rubble of the walls. You know what that, and here's what the Lord said. He said, your homes are even better than my temple. And back then in the Old Testament, that was absolutely a no-no. But what it told me was this, is that people were okay living in shame and in reproach so long as they lived in comfort. Mm. You know what, and that's not a new thing for us. Because in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full with shackles around your feet and hooks in your noses. For you have brought us out in the, into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'd rather sit on my shackles and be comfortable than be free and be dependent on God. And so this is where they were. People will overlook problems as long as they live in comfort. We cannot, as a church, any longer live in comfort because the Lord wants to do something great in us. He wants to us proclaim his name great once again because his name is not, the dysfunction is not changing, neither is the Lord. But as long as we realize the Lord will never change and he has a plan for us, we can change dysfunction. I am not going to be what my generation sent me to be. I will not be what the culture is trying to program me to be. I will not be what TV shows me to be. I'm just not. Because I got people looking at me and saying, Dad, when I grow up, what am I supposed to look for in a man? Well, baby, I'll show you. Okay? You ain't got to look for some dude. Just watch this one right here. Because I'm tired of the world trying to tell me what life really is. When they've not read the word, that is life. Read John 1. He explains all of that. Why is it so easy for us to become familiar with the things that are right? How long will we live in a country, in a culture that's just to be okay with uh, immorality, high divorce rates, sex trafficking, pornography, abortion, homosexuality, socialism, paganism? We're supposed to be okay with that. At what point do we say enough? We can no longer live amongst the broken down walls of morality and purity and decency and integrity and selflessness. Those walls have fallen down in America, even in our culture. Our subcultures, let me say this, is don't accept brokenness and dysfunction as God's intention for your life. Don't accept that. Just because something feels, just because broken feels normal <laughs> doesn't mean broken is normal. It's not. Can I tell you, Jesus doesn't want you to have normal at all. Jesus said, that I came to give you a life and life more abundantly. Do not settle for normal. Do not settle for brokenness. He came to give you life. He came to give you life. Life. Not that depression you wake up with every morning trying to motivate yourself with coffee and other things else. You, now, I'm not judging you if, you if you drink coffee in the morning. But I'm saying God came to give you life. That you don't have to tackle pressures every day. Get up in your word. Pray. All day long. Now, I'm not saying all day long. But, you know, just talk with God. Just listen to him. Just open your ear to him. He wants to give you life. He left the comforts of heaven so you can understand what life is. The longevity of a problem doesn't change its dysfunction. Don't accept brokenness and dysfunction. It's God's intention for your life. Okay, so what do we do, Pastor Scott? How do we change this? Okay, we grieve. We grieve. You realize that the most difficult, painful things in your life need grieving. We don't move on to where God needs us and wants us to be if we don't grieve. Shortest, shortest verse in the Bible is what? He grieved. He grieved knowing the promise on the other side. 
He grieved knowing that it was about to change, but he still grieved. He showed us we can grieve. Watch the slowness of his language here. It says he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. How do you respond with something you're not okay with? How do you deal with that pain and that strife? That, that, that just does not go away. It's almost like a PTSD. It catches you when you don't even realize it. How do you deal with that? If you don't learn to grieve over something, you'll never get past it. Let me show you. Moses led them all through the wilderness. Moses was the man who met with God. And when Moses died, they were thinking, now we got this guy, Joshua. You know, his hair ain't even white yet. We don't even know he'll be able to lead us or not. But look what the Lord told them to do. Deuteronomy 34, 8 says, And the people of Israel wept for mourning, wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Notice that it said, And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. That's it. Let's move on. I gave you time. Because we have to go somewhere better, and we can't go there if we're constantly weeping. So take your time, but mourn, grieve. If you don't grieve, you're not moving to where you need to go. So grieve. Men, cry those tears. Let that snot run. It's okay. Listen, you, your wife might need to see that. Your kids might need to see that. Grieve. Be open. It's why we have funerals. There was a time in my life where I, I was so cold to the world. My uncle hung himself, and, and we walked in and, and saw him there, and, and when I buried him and put him away, I just had no tears. I was just cold emotionally. And I remember thinking, looking at him, and just being, just knowing I was sad, just knowing I had sorrow, but didn't feel any of it. Just just numb. And I remember praying to God. I said, Lord, I want, I want compassion in my life again. You know, when you go through so many things, when people have hurt you so much, that passion just leaves you. You just become to be more and more insensitive. And we have to watch it because we become victims in ways we didn't even realize it. And people take things from our life. And, and we finally get to a place where, where they've taken so much that when it comes time for us to give to the people we love, we don't have nothing. And so I would pray that the Lord would teach you to grieve so he can be, begin to restore some things in your life. It's okay to ask God why and then just grieve and have no answer. But just grieve. What needs to be grieved in your life? What needs to be grieved in your life? Maybe it's the thing you can't get over. The thing you can't push past. Second thing is just preserve, persevere in prayer. What do we care about to pray for months? That's a, lot, that's a lot of time. Months. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. That is, to pray with unction. I had this small cough in my, in my throat, and I've been fighting it while I'm preaching. But I can tell you that, that I'm not going to cough all day. The word ceasing Literally, is tied to the, the word. It's actually going back to um, uh, the unction of coughing, the urge, the feel. Now, I don't cough all day, but I do have a feeling all day. And so when 
Paul is teaching us here, he's saying pray without, if I can put it in my words, pray as often as you feel the need to <coughs> cough. And so all throughout the day, you know how it is. You, you feel that. I should just stop and pray. Can I just challenge you at work or home or you're here or wherever you're at or when you're driving, <laughs> maybe more often, um, is that when you feel that unction, just stop and pray. Listen, it's not time to roll eyes and snot. It's, not, it's, it's just to stop and to say, Lord, I need you all parts of my life. The most desperate, the greatest, and the mediocre. I need you all points of my life, Lord. Because really, if I pray more in the mediocre, I won't be so <laughs> needing you in the desperate. And so, can I just tell you, just let the unction of prayer just come out. It doesn't have to be a whole lot. It's just the acknowledging of him in your life in this situation. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray in perseverance. Remember the story of the unjust judge and the widow? Look, look with me in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. We're going to persevere in prayer. I love this story. I love this story. Persevere. How do we rebuild walls, Pastor Scott? We're going to persevere in prayer. That's how we're going to do it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. Man, that should just be a sermon title right there. A fact that they said ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. That's important to know. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me Jesus. Oh, give me Jesus. Yes, Lord. Jesus and justice are the same things. Give me justice against my adversary. For while, I refu while he refused, but afterward... He said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Here is some faith. Hear it. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Why did she get justice to a man who neither feared God nor respected man? I'll tell you why. Because she kept coming. And she kept coming. And she kept coming. Hello? No, not today. And she kept coming. Nope. Kept coming. Kept coming. Kept coming. Kept coming. Kept coming. She kept coming. Kept coming. Kept coming. No. Kept coming. I'm coming for something. I need it. I want it. I gotta have it. No, not today. Not ever. I'm gonna keep coming. I'm gonna keep coming. I'm gonna keep coming. Keep coming. You gotta keep coming. Lord, if all it is is crumbs at your table that fall, I'm gonna keep coming for some crumbs. Because I know, Lord, that you are more than an unjust judge. And if I seek you, if I'm persistent, you will hear me. We gotta, if you want it rebuilt, if you, if you want it rebuilt, what is it? What is it? What do you need rebuilding in your life? I, 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 I want you to see how important this is until you understand what it is in your life, you, you can't grieve. 
You can't grieve and you can't persevere in prayer. You have to look at those walls and say, I remember when they used to. I remember when I found refuge in those walls. I remember the love that used to be in my marriage. I remember the respect I had with my kids. I remember the influence I had at my school. I remember the character I had before my employer. I remember those things. I remember when God used to heal people the first time I prayed. I remember those. I, re I look at those walls and say, Lord, I remember. I want you to rebuild those walls in our church, in our homes, in our country, in our mouths. Rebuild it, Lord. Because I believe that the Lord is preparing us, preparing us to move in a way that we have not yet seen in a long, long time. So what should our prayers look like? Listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit fanatical. You just have to bear with me. Start repenting. This is how your prayers, your prayers look like this. You start repenting. Repentance is important, is everything. Is when you seek God, repentance, whether you know of anything or not. In fact, David said, Lord, search me and know me. If there's anything that's in me that I don't even know about, go ahead and get the bull ready. Sacrifice the bull just in case. Search my heart, God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which, what's that word? We, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. This is, this is very interesting to me. Nehemiah was not born in the days of apostasy. Nehemiah did not commit those sins that got him into exile. Yet his, yet his prayer is that we have sinned. Now, how is it that he's asking for forgiveness for sins he did not commit? How is it that he is in judgment over sins he did not commit? Can I tell you, if the blessing applies over your life, so does the judgment. And he understood that there was a blessing for the people of Israel that was yet to come. And he wanted to be a part of that blessing. And so he understood he was a part of the judgment. Nehemiah understood that he was not alive when the people had sinned. But neither was he alive when the people had been blessed. Long before, long before that, he understood where his role was. Think about this. Think about Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. These three men were, y'all know the stories of Daniel. What all God did for Daniel. And yet God pulled Daniel into the, the exile. And had him go through a lot of uh, unmanly things, you know. It wasn't great for Daniel. He was, he was persecuted. He was tried. But I didn't hear Daniel or Ezekiel and Jeremiah say, Lord, I'm not guilty. No, no, it was the leadership. That's why we're here is the leadership. Oh, it was those men who, who married foreign women. That's not, why am I being persecuted, Lord? He didn't say, oh, no, no, it, it was the people who were worshiping idols. That's not what they said they just said, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. If we want to be recipients of the blessing, we must share repentance and the blame. You got to. And why is it so hard? 
Because there is a pride within man that says, Lord, I, I didn't do that. Why am I being, why am I, why am I being put into that? Can I ask you, are there things about the people of God today that break your heart? When I pray for the church, I, I have to pray, Lord, forgive us. Because I know myself, Scott Brand has not been the greatest representation of the church ever. So I need to pray better. Lord, forgive us as a church. We've become so mediocre. When I look at the church outside of America, I see a church on fire under persecution, on fire though. And I look at us in our comforts and I say, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up. When they talk about the sleeping giant, they're not talking about America. They're talking about the church in America. Wake us up. Because when we wake up, what can stand in our way? Nothing. What can stand in, 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 in the way of Harrison the city? Wake us up, God. Move in a mighty power. Lord, unite us, not as a church, yes, here, but even as a faith. Even as churches in Harrison, God, wake us up that we would claim this city as our own, that no darkness could come in, that no authority would come in, that no demonic spirit would come in, that no culture that would allow us to raise our kids in the city of darkness would come in, that we would be a city of light. It's what we've been called. Those are not just hopes and dreams. It's the word. God, do that in us. Build some walls, Lord. Make me a part of that. Renewal only happens when, when we repent. Second Chronicles 7.14. I've heard this before. Even if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repenting. Renewal. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes. Yes, God. That's what I'm talking about. And make sure we repent. Repenting is not saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. Repenting is saying, Lord, like the tax collector, oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. It's so easy when we come to that place that we can often shift the blame. Fourth thing is this, ask God to move. Ask God to move. 10 through 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1, he says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success. I'm asking it, Lord. Here it is. Give success to your servant today. Nehemiah knew the prayer that Solomon prayed in Second Chronicles. He understood that. He says, give success to your servant today. He knew the promise was coming. He knew that God would be faithful and so he's saying, God, do it now. Not do it later, but do it now. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was just a cupbearer to the king. Can I tell you, plan like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God, right? That's how we should be. Before Nehemiah ex executed one plan, he prayed and sought God to move first. Like Moses. Moses says, Lord, if you don't go before us, we're not moving. You got to open the, I'm not going to move, Lord, until you go first. When we seek God to do the work, it puts us in a place of humility. Look at this. Can I just teach you something or just off to the side real fast? It goes along with this. Look at Psalms chapter 50 with me. Let me tell you your nature and your responsibility and your relationship to God in your prayer, all right? He says this. God's talking about your relationship to him. He says, you don't, you don't bring anything to me. 
You don't provide anything for me. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is the nature of our relationship, that we ask and he responds, that we ask and he responds. We don't, we don't come to God and give him something because he's in need. He is, he is not in need at all. He has a desire, but never a need. God does not need you. He wants you. He wants you, and he wants you to call upon him in the day of trouble. Why? Because it is his desire to show up and meet your need. And it is his pleasure to receive your praise and to glorify him. What do you need? Ask. Ask it. What are you tired of staying in? Ask it. We know that we don't have anything because we don't ask for anything, right? You do not have because you do not ask. Just so you know, the Lord is about us asking. Jesus often asks, what do you want me to do for you? Matthew 21, 12 says this, and whatever you ask in prayer, you receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. So the one who knocks, it will be opened. John, uh, 1 John 5, 14-15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. It's our confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Man, number five. I'm, are y'all with me still today? Okay. I'm a little hot, but it's all good. <clears throat> I'm, this is, I'm just working for my living up here, sweating it out. Me and Caleb both. Caleb was, where is he at? He was sweating. I was like, that brother working today, man. Get it, Caleb. He did a great job today. Number five, put our hope in Jesus, not ourselves. You know, it's funny, in of all the books that Jesus refers to in the Targum, the Septuagint, all those Old Testament books that Jesus was teaching, he never quoted out of Nehemiah or Ezra. He never, never mentioned it all. There's, no, there's not even a mention of Jesus or a type or a shadow about, about himself in these books. But what I want you to know is that even though there's no mention of Jesus in this book, there is a mention of hope. And we can't disconnect Jesus from hope. And their hope was that God would return and resettle and make them whole again. Verse 9, he says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There's the hope that's in Jesus. You know, the funny thing is, is it has to be Jesus because in church, in, in chapter 12, they have all these commitments and these celebrations, and they're all coming back to God, and they're proclaiming, and they're, they're putting the priest back in place, and the, and the song is back in place, and the instrumentalist back in place, and they're dedicating, and they stand for hours at the reading of the Word, stand for hours, and they are wholeheartedly back into being the people of God once again. And you know what happens? Literally, 
probably months or days, they're all of a sudden they're not bringing tithes for the priests. The priests go back and start working again. They're not following the reforms that Nehemiah put out there. Just like that, they're starting to go back. In fact, one of the, one of the, the places I was reading to you yesterday was that, uh, it says, Nehemiah said, he said, so I, I beat them down and cursed them out, and I, and I pulled some of their hair out, <laughs> and I made them swear oaths. I said, Nehemiah is my man, you know? I just, Nehemiah, I just hear in my head, Nehemiah, I better never, ever catch you selling them daughters into, if I come here again, there's like that mom spirit coming out in him, you know? I thought, that's a man of God. He pulled people's hair out. <laughs> man, Nehemiah got to me a little bit. Um, but the thing is, is that they, uh, there's no hope in ourselves. You can have all the conviction and the passion and the feeling in the world, the emotion in the world, but it soon dwindles. You can't maintain the life and faith that you need outside of Jesus. And so this whole book is showing that the only way that we can actually have true hope is when Jesus shows up. Nehemiah in this story is a type of Jesus because he too lives far away in the kingdom that is so remote from the problems of what's going on. Caleb, if you, your team would come up. He's so far away from, from what's going on. He's living in the capital, Susa. He knows, he has no idea what the suffering is. But Nehemiah, who is, has groaned in his spirit about what the people are going through, about the reproach and the suffering the people are going through, that he leaves his place of comfort. Does that sound familiar to you? I know a man who lived in heaven, and he left there because he grieved over the creation who had, who had lost their relationship with him, and he left the comforts of kingdom. It's that he put aside his glory. He derobed himself, and he became nothing and humbled himself. I know a man like that. He left it because he understood the shame and the reproach that was on our lives. And so too did Nehemiah leave this place because of the shame and the reproach that spoke against God. And Jesus also saw those things in our life and came down here and gave his life as a sacrifice. He gave all of himself so that our lives would not be a reproach and a shame unto God. Jesus has come to rebuild those things that are torn down in our life. Can I ask you today, can you grieve? Are you ready? Do you, what is it that you've not got past yet that you've not grieved for? What is it that if we want renewal, we must have repentance? I, I struggled. I struggled with this statement, Repentance. For a long time, um, for a long time, I, I had some issues with my father until <laughs> I was about 42, to be exact. And so, um, and so I, I, I forgave that man over and over and over again, but it just never stuck. You ever forgive somebody, it just doesn't ever stick? It just doesn't stick. It's like every day you wake up, you're like, I, I forgave him, you know, last month too. And I just continue to forgive, continue to forgive. And the Lord one day just put in my spirit. He says, Scott, you're still tied to him because you're not asking for forgiveness. And I said, 
coming in. I've not asked for forgiveness. Lord, did you, do you even know what he did? Do you even realize? Do you, are we factoring the same things here? He says, God, so long as you don't forgive him, you're tied to him. You're bound to him. So ask for forgiveness. And I said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to let me know what I need, for, what I need forgiveness over. And I prayed about that. So I wrote my dad a letter. I never, I never gave dad this at all. I never shared this with anybody, so this might be difficult. But my hope is as I read this letter, is that if you need to forgive, maybe it begins with you asking for forgiveness. I wrote this. Dear Dad, up until the day I came to you in the ER, I can't tell you of the countless times I've thought about, prayed about, talked about, and dreamed out all the times I wanted to tell you I've forgiven you. The thing was, I didn't even know if you knew you needed forgiveness. I know in my life that I've told you a total lie so long, I believed it so much that it became reality to me. Thoughts or conversations that contradicted my long-held lies seemed so wrong that it took God revealing the truth to me for me to truly unsee the lie that I believed is truth. Perhaps this might be the same for you. And the day came when you were in the hospital and I spent that two-hour drive praying for you and for me. And I finally got the chance to tell you that I forgave you, although you were unsure what for. I left something out that day. I said I forgave you for the things of the past, but I failed to say, forgive me. I ask that you forgive me. For every time I use the brand name to justify my sin, forgive me. For over-exaggerating truths that so pity, that, that pity and empathy and sympathy and compassion were more easily given. Forgive me for blaming you for my reasons of why I fail, why I struggle, why I hesitate to try something for a lack of confidence. Forgive me for making you the chief of sinners so my testimony seemed more powerful. Forgive me for blaming my inaccuracies of a father on you. Forgive me for judging every one of your actions towards me as selfish and as self-centered even when they weren't. Forgive me for portraying you to others as a father whose severe lack so my childhood gained greater sympathy. Forgive me for the hate and bitterness I had towards you because of your neglect towards mom. Forgive me for the hate and bitterness I had toward you because of your abuse towards our family. Forgive me for not honoring you. Forgive me for not trying to rebuild a relationship that I always wanted but never acknowledged I needed. Forgive me for the insights that I lacked. Forgive me for the nights I laid in bed with steady tears, hardened hearts, and vengeance in my heart because of the pain that was left behind. Forgive me for not praying for you more. Forgive me for not calling you more often. Forgive me for the times I lied and said I love you too. Forgive me for blaming you while I don't have a son. Forgive me for the times I laughed at your pain and stood hypocritically in judgment. Forgive me for letting you figure out the rest of your life on your own. Oh, please forgive me. Forgive me for not allowing you to see my girls. Forgive me for not helping them to know their grandpa. Forgive me for not making you of no worth to them. Forgive me for acting as if I were the righteous person and you were the unworthy one in my life. Forgive me for not showing the compassion of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, or the love of Jesus. 
forgive me for a lot of things I'm sure I know I need to admit but most importantly dad forgive me for not loving you forgive me dad so that I love towards you one day because the love I read in 1 Corinthians love is patient and kind it does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things Love never ends. Forgive me, Dad, for making myself a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better pastor, but not a better son. Forgive me. Sometimes it begins with us. I don't know how to open these altars to you today. But you can join me if you're ready for God to renew some things in you. To rebuild some walls that have been down way too long. It begins with us, regardless of where the blame falls. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I love you. Lord, I submit my life to you today. God, I ask you that you would just come and heal us, Lord. That you would be with us, Father. As we run to altars and open lives, I pray, God, you begin a work in us to make us whole once again. Make us yours once again. Lord, make us healthy once again. Restore our witness to us once again. Let the world see, God, that regardless of what we've encountered and what we've endured and what we've been victimized, God, as, Lord, let us be whole once again that the love of God restores all things that you make all things new that you came to give us life and life more abundantly I'm not bound to this God whether I caused it or I received it I'm not bound to it Lord and so I release every chain every tie every action every offense Every moment, God, where I felt the pain of another man's sin, I release it, Lord. And I say, God, forgive me if I didn't bless him on his way, if I didn't pray for him on his way, if I didn't lift him up in love and encouragement and hope and peace and pray for the restoration of his might and his soul, God, I pray. Help us, Lord, to rebuild. Help us, Lord, to rebuild. Jesus name would you come if you've not come already